It can be hard to see the challenges the people we work with are facing. Addressing these invisible struggles can make us and our companies healthier. Join Holly Robinson-Pete on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. On April 1st, Jermaine Foreman, who drives a city bus route through Manhattan, made an announcement. Ladies and gentlemen, thanks for boarding this bus. The next stop will be Atlantic City. <laughs> and, you know, it, it, they're quiet, but then they're like, what? What? Excuse me, what did he just say? And I just say, oh, my gosh, April Fool's Day. They just got bust out last like, oh, my gosh, I, I, wish, I wish this bus would go to Atlantic City. And, you know, it's just- Jermaine's been trying to keep things light on his bus route in a pretty heavy time. In his nearly nine years working as a bus driver, he's never experienced anything as disruptive as this pandemic. Like thousands of other public transit workers, Jermaine is now responsible for enforcing social distancing on people's commutes. That sometimes can mean skipping stops. Not a popular move. And of course, this is New York. The people from the outside looking, they might be cursing you out like, hey, what's going on? But if they could just see through the window... I'm actually preventing you from getting sick because there's too many people on the bus. Being a public transit worker right now is an even bigger responsibility than usual. You know, I say that we like the vessels of New York City, the bloodline. We help that flow. And when we have our, you know, first responders and our healthcare workers going into work, if they could come to work every day, why can't I, you know? And, and it's just to know that I'm playing a part in helping So we like the unsung heroes. As businesses reopen, one of the biggest hurdles will be figuring out how to get millions of people to work. Because the normally tight, packed bus that Jermaine is used to isn't coming back anytime soon. It's just not safe. And what the safe future of public transit will look like is a work in progress. Today on the show... An interview with the person in charge of figuring out that future for the country's largest public transit system in the U.S. city with the worst coronavirus outbreak. Welcome to The Journal, our show about money, business, and power. I'm Kate Leinbaugh. It's Monday, May 11th. This morning, I called up the chairman of the Metropolitan Transit Authority, Pat Foy. He was up late last night watching a deep clean of New York subway cars. Station closed at 1. We got there a little after midnight or something like that. Pat Foy has been running the MTA for about a year. Have you ever driven a subway car? I've never driven a subway car. Have you wanted to? Uh, Look, I grew up in Queens, New York, riding the 7 train, so the 7's elevated for uh, most of it, and... uh, 74th Street and Roosevelt Avenue was my station. Uh, it went to what was then Shea Stadium, and you could stand in the front and watch the tracks curve. So uh, like every young boy in, uh, in New York City at the time, the answer is hell yes. <laughs> Seems like you could take advantage of that in your current position. I'm not trained or certified or skilled enough. <laughs> Pat oversees a massive transit system. And like others across the country, the MTA has seen ridership collapse during this pandemic. Subway rides are down over 90 percent, and commuter rails are down 95 percent. Now, the agency is starting to plan for when those ridership numbers go back up. 
So can you describe how you think New York City's public transit system will look three months from now? Look, I I think three months from now, there will likely be more people riding it than there are today, but significantly fewer people riding it than rode it in January or historically. I'm just trying to get a picture of how you see, say, the subways looking in three months from now. Like, literally, when you walk onto a train platform, what are we going to see? I think we're going to see everybody, uh, every employee and uh, every passenger having a mask or a bandana or a scarf or a facial covering. I I think that's de rigueur. And I think there'll be great social pressure in every context, including transit, to wear your mask. I think it's likely that the cars and the stations will have been disinfected the evening before, the night before. So I I think there'll be a smell of bleach or the application of antimicrobial products. I think there'll be less density on the cars. I think there's likely to be indications on the floor of the subway car as to, you know, enter here, leave here. In this area, there ought to be no more than X passengers. I think it's likely that in this time period, we will have expanded initiative. We started probably four or five weeks ago, maybe a little longer, called the Temperature Brigade. We've got a workforce, total workforce of, call it, you know, 70,000 but we've been taking temperatures at facilities, subways, buses, Metro North Long Island Railroad, bridges and tunnels as well. We've taken temperatures of about 118,000 employees, and employees have, have welcomed it. We've had about 46 employees who've been directed to go home because they had a fever above 100.4. I think that's likely to continue. There will also be, and there are today, protective provisions, devices, and policies in place to protect our employees and our passengers on buses, Metro North, Long Island Railroad. For instance, uh, you know, we instituted rear door boarding on our local buses to minimize contact between bus operators and passengers. We've limited the number of uh, seats that can be filled on buses. We've eliminated cash on subways, buses, uh, Metro North and Long Island Railroad. I think the elimination of cash, frankly, not only in transit, but across the country and across society, I think is a trend that uh, is going to accelerate even further. Yeah, I'm just curious, going back to the subway example, and you can take it to buses too, but how are you going to enforce these social distancing measures on public transit? Well, look, I think agencies around the world have done things like metering, I think there ought to be consideration of reserving a space, you know, at at least for some period of time on a subway or bus, you know, using, for instance, uh, the technology that we're all familiar with that Ticketmaster uses. Second, there will be staff to assist with that. Thirdly is I do think that the experiences of the pandemic are going to be with New Yorkers, Americans and others around the world for a long period of time. And I think that not wearing a mask or crowding in any context, whether it's on a boardwalk on the beach or a subway car, uh, is going to be looked at as antisocial and unacceptable behavior. So I I think that New Yorkers regulating themselves is going to be part of life going forward. And it's going to be a combination of those things. Are you working with the business community to sort of rethink work hours to avoid rush hour? So we're not kind of elbow to elbow on the subway? The answer is yes. And actually, if you go back to the 1918 pandemic, 
staggered hours were something that were put in place by New York City and the state at the time. I think it's an easy way, it's a common sense way to do that. My sense is talking with employers, large and small, I think that'll be welcomed. Obviously, no decision's been made on that, and I'm certain that Governor Cuomo will weigh in on that, and uh, I'm not going to preempt the uh, governor, but I think that's one thing. I think that employers will continue to encourage many of their employees who can to work remotely. I think that experiment has worked well, and I think common sense steps like that will continue to modulate and moderate increases in ridership. After the break, how soon Pat Foy thinks people will be riding the subway again. This episode is brought to you by Vonage. With Vonage Video API, your developers can easily create custom video experiences tailored to your business. Enhance every conversation with live video, whether it's delivering faster tech support, improving customer service, or enabling interactive meetings and events. Unlock the true video potential of your business. Discover how at Vonage.com. This episode is brought to you by Global X ETFs. Buzz around artificial intelligence is seemingly everywhere. Is your portfolio keeping up? Consider the Global X Artificial Intelligence and Technology ETF, ticker AIQ, which invests in dozens of stocks at the leading edge of this disruption. Investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal. Technology companies can be affected by rapid product obsolescence and intense industry competition. Before investing carefully, consider the fund's objectives, risks, charges, expenses, and more in the full or summary prospectus at GlobalXETFs.com. Read carefully. Distributed by SEI Investments Distribution Company. Last week, the New York subway did something it has never done before. It shut down its 24-7 service to make time between 1 and 5 a.m. to thoroughly clean cars. In doing that, we were aware and looked at what Seoul and London and Shenzhen had done, where either nighttime service was scaled back or, or stopped for uh, cleaning and disinfecting reasons, which is you know, one of the primary reasons that we're uh, doing this, and that is a Uh, You know, it was a very tough decision. New York is a city that never sleeps. It's a 24-7 place. Uh, The subways have always been a 24-7 subway place. Same thing with with, uh, bus service. And making that decision was a really hard one. And do you think you will reopen uh, nighttime service? Absolutely. It's only a question of when. Governor Cuomo, you know, has said that when the pandemic subsides, and, you know, we're all obviously everybody rooting for that being sooner rather than later. And uh, ridership returns, uh, you know, New York will be a 24-7 city once again. When do you see ridership getting back to normal levels? I don't want to overstate it, but I think as the spread of the virus continues to be reduced and the other metrics that the governor is looking at come down, I think those will be reflected in ridership. I think it will take a while. I don't know how long that is precisely. There was a report in the Washington Post today where the D.C. metro system doesn't expect normal levels until March 2021. I'm not going to pick a a week or a month. I don't know. And uh, I I think, frankly, I'd be making it up, and I'm not going to do that. So reduced ridership for a prolonged period means you're going to have a lot less revenue coming in. 
What will this mean for your finances? Well, look, the answer is you're right. So, uh, you know, we're a $17 billion uh, revenue company. Our revenue comes from fundamentally two sources, fair and toll revenue. Both of those revenue sources have declined precipitously, obviously, with subway ridership, for instance, down 91, 92%. Uh, you can imagine what that's done to our uh, revenues. The other thing I'll note is, in addition to the precipitous revenue declines, our, our expenses are up because of the disinfecting. The first COVID-19 case in New York State, I believe, was March 1st or 2nd. We began disinfecting our stations and rolling stock on March 3rd. We also had a a sufficient inventory of personal protective equipment. And, uh, you know, at this point, we've distributed to our workforces since March 1st, 2nd, about 1.6 million masks and about nearly four million pairs of gloves, a million six uh, disinfecting wipes, et cetera. And we've got sufficient inventories of personal protective equipment to continue to distribute it to our uh, employees across the entire operation for as long as this pandemic continues. Over 100 MTA workers have died from COVID. When you look back, do you regret not having required mask wearing for MTA workers sooner than you did? Look, first, the numbers 116 of our colleagues have succumbed to the virus. Those colleagues who passed away are uh, uh, performed uh, heroically. Uh, we mourn and grieve the loss of, of every one of them and the, uh, the impact it's had on their family and friends. Our board last month unanimously approved a substantial family death benefit for every one of those employees. The thing I regret is that the CDC didn't change its advice on the wearing of masks earlier. We made a decision to, despite the fact that the CDC and World Health Organization were still advising against the wearing of masks to abandon that advice, the CDC changed their position at least a couple of weeks later. Their position was not an irrational one. You know, look, New York, unfortunately, New York City and New York State is the epicenter of the pandemic, you know, in the United States. And frankly, you know, given the numbers in the world and the loss of our colleagues and the fact that so many have been infected. I I, I myself am one, although I had a very mild case, as did a number of people uh, here in the senior leadership of the MTA. I'm actually donating plasma uh, I've got antibodies and I'm donating plasma next Saturday in a uh, clinical trial. And I hope that my plasma donation can help some transit worker who is still struggling with the virus. And I think every step of the way we've made decisions that advance uh, protecting public safety and public health. And I feel comfortable with that, as does the entire organization, that despite the loss of life, We have done everything we could to minimize uh, risk to our customers and employees. You say that MTA workers have acted heroically, keeping the system going through this pandemic. We spoke to a bus driver, Jermaine Foreman, who said MTA workers deserve hazard pay. What are your thoughts about that? Well, on hazard pay, like Governor Cuomo, I support uh, hazard pay, as does uh, Senator Schumer the uh, minority leader of the Senate, the federal government, that's ought to be a federal responsibility. And we totally support federal funding for hazard pay. So I agree with our colleague, the the bus driver, that 
hazard pay ought to be included in the federal program. So you survived COVID. You said you had a mild case. You're donating plasma. Do you feel like that experience has informed how you're treating workers and worker safety and approaching what the subway will look like going forward? The answer is yes. Look, COVID has touched so many lives here at the MTA in New York City, New York State, throughout the entire country. I I also want to tell you that my youngest daughter is an emergency room nurse at Northwell, you know, the largest health system in New York. And uh, she's been on the front lines. And so many people in New York have a family member or friend who's a police officer or a firefighter or a transit worker. So this is personal. And also success on transit in New York and elsewhere is going to be determined by millions of people and tens of thousands of our employees making decisions that it is safe to travel on transit. And we're committed to delivering on that and making sure that they have the assurance Look, I ride the subway and the Long Island Railroad regularly. Everybody here at the MTA does, as do family members and friends. And we all, as a result, have a, an appropriate vested interest in making sure we get this right. And at the start of this interview, you talked about being a boy on the subway, going to City Field. And I think we all have that memory of getting on the subway and going to a ball game. When are we going to be able to do that again? Well, look, I can't predict when Major League Baseball is going to return. I'm a big baseball fan. By the way, I'm so old that when I took the subway, it was the Shea Stadium, not City Field. I believe there'll be baseball later in the year. And I I think people will take subways to Yankee games and to City Field this baseball season. Mr. Foy, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you, Kate. Appreciate it. That's all for today, Monday, May 11th. The Journal is a co-production of Gimlet and The Wall Street Journal. Thanks to Jermaine Foreman for talking to us on his day off. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow.